Good morning, everyone, and uh, this is Lou Brzezinski in yet another Blaney's podcast. And uh, we have Shelton Inkle today as our guest. Uh, good morning, Shelton. Good morning. And welcome to the beautiful podcast studio. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to have you here. And of course, we have on our uh, virtual studio uh, Varjan Arman, our sound engineer and producer. So we're ready to go. Uh, we've invited Sheldon here today to talk about defamation generally, and uh, we'll cover the topic uh, in a broad sense, and then we'll uh, hone in on some issues dealing with the Internet. Sounds Very like good. a good idea? It sounds great. Great, Sheldon. So first of all, let's jump into some of the definitions. When we talk about definitions of defamation, we also talk about issues of slander and libel. Can you distinguish those three terms for me? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, slander is a defamation that is spoken, and uh, libel is defamation that is written. So basically, they're, they're just uh, subcategories of defamation. So defamation encompasses both slander and libel. It does. Now, in order for there to be a, an action or, if you wish, a, a lawsuit based upon defamation, either in slander and libel, what does there have to be present in order for somebody to uh, raise the issue and seek damages? Well, uh, to make it a cause, cause of action for uh, defamation, you've got to be able to show that uh, statements were made and that they were made to, to uh, somebody other than the plaintiff. So you can say in Canada, not, not necessarily everywhere in the world, but in Canada you can say uh, pretty much anything to someone else, but as soon as you say it to another party, then uh, you've opened yourself up to a claim for defamation. And then the, the other element that has to be proven is that the, uh, the words are defamatory. And that gets a little trickier because a defamation for, uh, sorry, a definition for defamation, say that five times fast, is um, not something necessarily that uh, is everyone agrees on. Um, but generally speaking, I think uh, most people would agree that a defamatory statement is one that it would tend to um, put someone into, uh, into disrepute or, or harm their reputation to subject them to ridicule or hatred or contempt, and uh, that the statements would be made without any kind of justification for doing so or any lawful, lawful reason. So you mentioned a couple of things um, there in respect of what constitutes uh, disparaging words or uh, something that would bring someone's reputation uh, into disrepute. Now, would this be uh, an objective test uh, determined by a third party, or is it a subjective issue that is determined by the object of the defamation, like the person who suffers it? Well, actually, uh, what what really matters is is how the words would be reasonably uh, taken by by a third party. So, what uh, what the person who says the words meant, and what the person who the words are said about uh, takes them to mean, that those aren't the uh, the critical uh, the critical factors. What really matters is what a what a reasonable uh, person hearing those statements uh, whether they would take them to be defamatory. Let me ask you this question. If I'm in a restaurant with my friend and I start calling him a whole bunch of bad words and everybody in the restaurant can hear, have I committed an act of defamation? Uh, possibly. I could get into the fact that uh, typically insults uh, are not considered to be capable of, of defamation because uh, they're, they're, if they're obviously insults and, and not meant to be taken uh, literally. But if you were saying certain things uh, and other people were able to hear them, absolutely. Now, when I write a letter to the newspaper, to the, let's say we're in Toronto now, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, and that letter is published, and that uh, letter contains uh, insults or uh, defamatory language as against the person I'm writing about, can I, the writer of the letter, be liable for defamation? Absolutely. And 
What about the newspaper? It can also uh, be uh, subject to uh, exposure for li- uh, for defamation. So you would have two targets then if it's published in a newspaper, correct? Yes, absolutely. And, and in fact, any any repetition of the words would also uh, open you up to, to further uh, the claims for defamation. So if another newspaper picked up the article or it was... Um, referred to on a TV broadcast or um, on the Internet, uh, those would be additional possible claims. How does the fact that a, that a uh, defamatory words are published in a newspaper affect the amount of money that a plaintiff can receive in an action? Uh, well, I think, first of all, it, it's difficult to put any value on defamation because it is um, the damages are going to be subjective, and, and there's no... There's no uh, real consistency to, to what awards are, are, are made. But uh, the larger the audience um, is definitely going to have an impact. So, so if you say something terrible about somebody in, in an email to one other person, the damages that's going to attract are, are, you know, just from a common sense perspective, are going to be lesser than the damages that are going to be attracted if you uh, publish something in a, in a national uh, newspaper. So if you if you use an insult or say something untrue about an individual and you CC a third party, that constitutes defamation? Yes, it does. And what about if, in fact, you uh, publish a blog online that is also contains words that uh, diminish the reputation of an individual? It, is that a cause of action against that blogger? Yes, it is. And actually, there's a really interesting case. Um, it was just decided in February of 2015, uh, the Baglow and Smith case, and it dealt with um, with an ongoing dispute on a, on a, on a web, uh, web blog. And in that case, the, um, the person who published the statements was sued, and also the, the people who ran the, um, the blog. Although the words were found to be defamatory, um, they actually were, were able to evade uh, uh, damages because uh, the defense of fair comment rescued them. But but I, one thing that was really interesting, I think, about that case was even the um, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association uh, intervened, and they shared the opinion of the defendants that uh, words complained complained of on a, on a blog could not be considered defamatory because the blog readers would expect hyperbole, profanity, personal attacks, sarcasm, insults, and bad language. Uh, the judge disagreed, though, and he said there basically there's no, there's no differentiation when it comes to defamation as to whether it's a web blog or a newspaper. I mean, the words, if they're defamatory, they're defamatory. I see. Now, you mentioned in this case uh, that they were able to uh, avoid liability because it was found to be fair comment. Uh, is that a defense to defamation? Uh, it is. Can you explain what fair comment means? Yeah, fair comment. Uh, basically, that's a defense that um, the the words uh, expressed were were an opinion and not not statements of fact. And uh, to make out the defense, there are a number of uh, uh, elements that have to be uh, satisfied. Uh, the words have to be recognizable as comment. Um, they also have to be uh, on a matter of public interest. So depending on what, what you have to say, uh, if, if there's a legitimate reason for other people to receive that, those statements, then, uh, then you might be able to, to make out a defensive fair comment. And, uh, and also the words have to be uh, capable of being honestly believed by the person making the statement. Are there any other defenses to defamation? Yes, there's a defensive justification, uh, which means that the statements made were true. However, um, there has been an interesting development uh, with the creation of a new tort called public disclosure of private facts. So it's possible now that someone could be accused of defamation and found to be not liable because the statements were true, but at the same time, if those statements are offensive uh, to, to a reasonable person and are not of legitimate concern to the public, uh, the person making them could be liable for 
the public disclosure of private facts. So that is has might have an effect on the defensive justification moving forward. As far as the other defenses go, I've already spoken about fair comment. The other most common defense is qualified privilege, and there are also defenses known as absolute privilege and responsible communication. Now, we've talked a little bit about the, the uh, impact of the Internet by that blogging case you talked about, but I presume that there there is a, a whole array of publications online, such as posting things on a website, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, whatever social media you choose. Have there been cases yet that have addressed that kind of comment that's found on uh, on the Internet and in social media? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, if it wasn't for... Well, I think Courtney Love actually is keeping the, uh, the uh, Twitter um, defamation uh, cases uh, uh, in the public eye. She's been sued twice for defamatory tweets. The first one ended up being settled for, I believe, around $450,000. And in the second one, she was actually successful. And, and uh, some people have coined a term called twibel for that. It's a combination of Twitter and libel. And um, there was also a similar uh, occurrence um, about a year ago here in the area where uh, a local uh, sports uh, broadcaster rebroadcast on on one of its programs a tweet made by a fan that made a really inappropriate comment about a couple of uh, of hockey players and one of their wives and um, the uh, the players and their spouse threatened to sue and of course the uh, the station apologized and withdrew the uh, comment well actually it wasn't their comment um, but they apologized for for um, sharing it and the person who actually made the tweet was was quite astounded that uh, something he meant to just be a comment to, to a few people ended up being broadcast across the country on television and uh, he also apologized and and uh, he said at the time that he learned a lesson that his that if you if you put something on the internet it's uh, there for everybody to see and i think that's something a lot of people haven't quite come to to grips with yet we know that there's also uh, anonymous bulletin boards or people who post anonymously on uh, on various uh, websites um is it common first of all a is it common for that to occur and b can uh, the parties locate and find the identity of that uh, anonymous poster and then sue him for defamation? That's, that's an option that's available to them, although it can be difficult. And usually the, um, the, the ISP providers or the uh, website uh, uh, administrators don't want to give that information away. Sometimes they have to go to court uh, to, uh, to be forced to, to provide uh, particulars about the people that are making the posts. And that is a, an ongoing concern, uh, especially with, uh, with, the, with uh, the Internet. Would the Internet service provider be potentially liable uh, if they allow those posts on uh, one of their sites? Uh, yes, in Canada for sure, um, not necessarily elsewhere. I know in the United States they have the Communication uh, Communications Decency Act, which basically um, protects inter- internet service providers, web hosts, from, from being uh, held liable for comments made by other people posting on their websites. Um, in Canada, though, there is a responsibility on, on the part of the uh, ISP provider to, to, uh, to take things down once they've been notified that there's defamatory content. Recently, there's been a uh, YouTube video about a, um, a woman who has parked in a handicap parking. I don't know whether you're, you're probably aware of it. It's gone viral. Uh, and uh, this person um, who filmed her on her, his, his iPhone posted it on YouTube, and she got maybe several hundred thousand hits. And I presume that uh, 
uh, her reputation has suffered to some extent because she is shown throwing coffee at the individual who has confronted her about why she parked in a uh, handicapped parking spot when she clearly wasn't handicapped. Could that kind of posting on YouTube lead to an action in defamation against the poster? Well, there's no stopping people from bringing claims, but in, in my opinion, uh, because we're, we're talking about uh, recording of true events, I, I think it would be really hard to make out uh, a case for defamation, at least in Ontario. There, Like I said, there are other jurisdictions where the laws differ, and I believe in Quebec, uh, even the publication of true statements can be found defamatory if, if they're made... Um, if they're harmful to someone's reputation. So it's all a question of jurisdiction. That's a really big question when it comes to That's interesting. So if if, uh, if we were just an ordinary individual, um, uh, I presume we have to be careful about what we tweet and when we tweet it. Uh, definitely. And unlike uh, the common perception a lot of people seem to have is that they can say whatever they want in social media and it doesn't really matter, but that is uh, far from the truth. And I think... It, uh, it would be very wise for um, employers and uh, especially, as I said, in Ontario, if you're a, a web host, uh, to make sure that you're, you're keeping track of what, uh, what people are, are saying and, and how they're, what kind of statements they're making that could be attributed to you, yourself, or your company. And that would include things such as LinkedIn as well? Uh, it could. And Facebook? Absolutely. So as employers, we have to be mindful of what our employees might post because it might come back to bite us, as they say. It could if it, if it were uh, deemed that the statements were, were made as a part of their, uh, as, of their duties, uh, their connection to their job, or, or were somehow sanctified by the, uh, by the employer. Sheldon, so is there something an employer can do to insulate themselves from defamation at the, if you wish, at the hands or words of their employee? There are policies that uh, an employer can can put into into place that will uh, uh, protect them, or or uh, waivers agreements that their employees can can execute. However, whether those um, agreements are going to fully insulate the employer if something uh, goes into litigation, that's a, that's another question, and it's arguable uh, whether or not they would be able to protect the employer. Uh, Sheldon, uh, very insightful, very interesting. If some of our listeners want to get a hold of you, how can they contact you? Uh, they can get a hold of me here at Blaney McMurtry. Uh, my email address is sinkol at blaney.com or, or by phone, 416-596-4276. And I'd be happy to talk to them about uh, this very interesting subject. Thank you, Sheldon. Very much.